Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. All right. Well, welcome once again to the Veteran Founder Hour, I guess we're calling that now. I don't I don't know that we quite have a name for this thing yet, but uh, we'll call that the, the Veteran Founder Hour for now. But uh, welcome again. I am your host, Josh Carter, and with me as always is Carmen Nazario. How are you? Welcome, everyone. Yeah. I am doing great. Yeah, and so uh, last week we had a, a great talk, a great conversation with Carmen. Uh, we, what we're doing uh, is sort of we were getting to know each other. Which was a great, uh, great time, and got a lot of really good information about Carmen. And then the week before, she interviewed me, which was great. Uh, so it was nice getting to know you, and and having the listeners get to know me as well. Yes, and uh, we're looking forward to get to know Tom today. Tom. Yeah, I am really excited about this because Tom's a good friend, and uh, he's got a great story to tell. So we're going to get into that. But Carmen, you are going to tell everybody about our uh, sponsor. We have sponsors, which is amazing. Yes, uh, you're going to talk to uh, everybody about CPA dudes. That's right. CPA Dudes uh, is an accounting firm, and they say it's never boring with them. Their price is not based on time. Customers decide the value to them. That certainly is a novelty. I love they it. don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just do the job, and they get it done. Uh, you can check them out at cpadudes.com slash Startup Prado, and I can spell that P R A D I O. Start. I think it's Startup Radio, uh, but that's okay. Oh, Startup Radio. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, thank you for that, Carmen. I appreciate. It. Thank you, CPA dudes, for jumping in and uh, being a sponsor. We're going to get right into it. Uh, so, I will not spend a lot of time introducing who this gentleman is because he's going to. He's got a great story, and I think you'll you'll enjoy getting to know him. But his name's Tom Cox. He's the former founder of a little startup called Candle, which is a uh, which was a great idea. He ended up uh, taking that idea through TechStars in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, and uh, beyond that, he is part of the Patriot Bootcamp alumni and family, which I'm, I love. He's I've seen him talk, and uh, he's just a great guy. So, welcome to the program, Tom. Josh, thanks so much for having me, Carmen. Well, it's great well, to meet you. Yes, and welcome. Yeah, so I want to uh, I kind of want to jump right in because, like I said, uh, we can take. Uh, multiple hours talking to you about your entire journey, but let's start from the beginning. The beginning. You are an army vet, which I won't hold that against you. Carmen, I'm sure loves I'm that. I'm an army vet. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> uh, so, tell us a little bit about your sir, your time uh, in the service uh, in the army. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I graduated high school in 1993, and uh, you know, I. I wasn't lucky enough to have uh, parents that could give me a full ride to college, and my grades were uh, pretty mediocre, so there, there weren't a lot of options for me, but I, I wanted to go to school, so I found a way to do it by joining the Army Reserves at first uh, and was a combat medic for three years uh, while I went to college full-time. And uh, after my fourth year uh, or third year of college, uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't actually afford the fourth year so I wound up actually going active duty um, and spent 
uh, several years working as a, a satellite operator, uh, satellite controller in the Army, which was uh, which was a phenomenal job. I mean, how many people get to fly satellites for a living? Absolutely. And what, what's funny about that is I watched your Techstars demo day uh, pitch, and the gentleman that introduced you said you never crashed one of those half-billion-dollar satellites, so congrats. Well, I mean, so <laughs> there was one that went missing for a while, but oh, we did okay. find it. <laughs> okay, that's good. Well, then that, then your your record is impeccable. <laughs> so so I, I, uh, I'm sorry. I'll, uh, just just to finish up the service piece, uh, I left um, I left the army in 1999. I went to work at the uh, NSA for four years. Uh, so I was at I was at Fort Meade uh, during 9/11 and watched the uh, transition from pre 9/11 to post 9/11 world uh, from a really interesting perspective. No doubt. No doubt. So, so t- talk a little bit more about. Uh, so, you're, how long did you spend in the in the army? How how long was your your uh, your? Well, I guess your commitment. Yeah, it was uh, six years. Six years in the army from ninety three to ninety nine. And where were you? Sta- you were stationed in D.C. or outside of D.C. I was in uh, Fort Meade for the first three years, and then uh, Fort Gordon for a couple of years of uh, training, and Fort Detrick, uh, which is uh, just west of uh, D.C. I was stationed in Fort Gordon for three years, so uh, the home of the Signal School. But I think it's now, uh, isn't the National Security Agency headquartered there? It's, it's uh, changed now. Yeah, there is a, uh, there's a really large basement somewhere underneath the Fort Gordon <laughs> that, that has a lot of com- computers in it now, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. I think that's public. <laughs> a nice cold room, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So I have a question. Did you uh, choose the medic field? I know that it used to be when I was in the military, they didn't allow you to choose the field you were interested in. So did you choose uh, to be a medic? The train. Yeah. So Go ahead. great question, Carmen. It's, it's, it was an interesting time in the armies, uh, in, in the history of the army. So 1993 was the year that the army was in the process of cutting back from. Uh, six million active duty to two and a half million active duty, and so they were they were looking to get rid of people, not to bring new people in. And when I showed up to the recruiter's office, they had two choices for me: one was infantry, and the other was medic. And it kind of put me into the the first decision in my life: well, am I offense or defense? And so um, I just felt more comfortable uh, saving lives. And then how did you transition into working uh, with uh, the satellites? When, so I went through medic school. Uh, candidly, I was probably a really terrible medic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did actually save a life. Uh, nice. Once there was a, there was a guy, uh, was a 50-year-old. Um, we were on a field operation out in Fort Dix. It was like 104 degrees, really high humidity, and uh, and he had a heart attack, and I kept him alive until the base paramedics showed up, took him to the hospital, and he had a full recovery. And I was so, uh, I was trembling for like half a day after that experience. Uh, sure. I just felt way more comfortable uh, working on half billion dollar electronics than, than people. <laughs> so, hey, but you can't call yourself a bad medic if you saved a person's life. I, I, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great story. No. Yeah. That yeah. Is. So it, I just, I just definitely enjoy. Uh, I have so much respect for for people who can 
uh, spend every day of their life uh, fixing people and making people better. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so you get out of the the army. Uh, you have all this amazing these amazing experiences, this, this great training. Uh, talk a little bit about that transition for you. What what uh, what happened after the army, and how did you get into? Um, what was your next step in the career uh, of Tom Cox? So uh, while I was while I was flying and controlling satellites, um, I was talking to a couple friends of mine who were working in the intel community and decided that was. Uh, that was the step I wanted to take. So I, I transitioned out of the Army when my six-year term was up and went to work uh, as a contractor uh, for the NSA. So I, technically I was employed by Northrop Grumman, but, uh, but I was embedded inside the agency and uh, spent every day working there. And uh, it was, I'll tell you, those four years, that, that job was the most interesting and exciting and rewarding job that I ever had in my career. Um, Everything included. It was, uh, I worked with real, true, live heroes that you never would see on television or read about online or in the papers um, who did amazing things every day, day in and day out, as if it was just part of their job, because it was. Nice. What was your role um, at Northrop? Uh, so I, uh, I put interesting telephones in interesting places. <laughs> I guess it would be the best way to describe it. A man after my own heart, a telecom nerd. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. That, um. So uh, how long did you do that, Tommy? What, what kind of systems were you working on? It was, so I did that from 99 until 2003 when I got, uh, just after I got married. And uh, so I worked all over um, Europe, the Middle East, some other places, um, uh, lots of travel that I couldn't tell my wife about, uh, which kind of uh, which led to the reason why she asked me to change my career. Sure, um, makes sense. To something where she at least knew which continent I was on at any given moment. <laughs> nice, yeah. Uh, and wh- what kind of phone systems were you putting on? Because I don't know if you knew Tom, but I was an Avaya engineer for a long time and put in phone systems for for a number of years. Yeah, I was I was still working mostly with satellite technology. Okay, um, a lot of a lot of uh, physical layer, uh, wireless uh, line of sight, uh, um, and and satellite tech, uh, connections. So never not really phones, but um, close enough. I made the phones work. Yeah. yeah, I made them work in interesting places. That's so. awesome. Yeah, we we I've had uh, some projects where you had to get kind of creative with uh, because you didn't have the infrastructure or or what whatever the situation was. So line of sight was certainly something we we worked on as well. That's awesome. So when you were at Northrop, um, what made you leave the company? Because that is uh, such a huge company. You could uh, probably could have found a different type of role. Within the company, but it appears that uh, you you left to do something else at that point, right? From you only worked there from ninety nine to two oh three. Yeah, so I left, uh, and again, like I said, I didn't really spend a lot of time with the folks at North of Grumman proper, but uh, I, I was there from ninety nine to oh three, uh, working for the agency, and I, I loved I loved my job, but. You know, uh, my wife and I were living in D.C. at the time, and my commute was 55 miles through D.C. traffic each way. And, you know, the, the travel was starting to kind of weigh on my wife. And so we just decided, you know, I need to do something different. And I actually, I'm, I met a person um, whose name will come up again a couple times. Uh, his name is Alan. 
uh, he was the head of sales for a small startup company in Atlanta called Datapath. And they were looking to hire some engineers. He had worked with me as a sales guy selling me some satellite equipment. And he said, hey, you know, we're looking for some engineers. And by the way, um, that condo you have in D.C. would buy this ridiculously large house in Atlanta. <laughs> and so my wife saw that and she was like, yeah, let's go buy a nice big house and live happily ever after. And so um, no, we not made a bad that place. transition yeah. down to Atlanta. Yeah, not a bad place to plant roots. It's been wonderful. Uh, we, we actually left Atlanta for a cup of coffee in St. Louis for a couple of years. And uh, when that ran its course, we came back. So nice. I think we're here for the long haul. So, so with Datapath, uh, how big was that team when you, when you started there? I was employee number 33. Oh, wow. And, and how big uh, are they today? In 18 months after I got there, um, they had hired their 700th employee. Oh, my. Wow. And uh, we're in the process of going public. And uh, it didn't work out for them. And so the company went from 700 employees down to about 150 employees. And uh, I, was, I was fortunate enough to leave uh, on my own accord um, early on because I could see what was happening and uh, wound up at another company nearby, uh, General Dynamics. Um, nice. But it was, it, it was such a great experience to uh, you know, see a company go through violent growth. Um, the, the CEO at the time actually described it as uncontrolled growth, <laughs> uh, which... Th- didn't yeah. make any sense to me, but it was, uh, it was the first time I'd seen anything like that. And watching that, watching uh, the leadership make decisions that made no sense to me, but apparently made sense financially, um, led me to wonder, like, well, I don't, I don't understand business. I understand technology, but technology and business are two different things. And so that experience led me to go and get my, uh, finish my undergraduate degree in business and then go and get an MBA. You know, I I think that's quite interesting. Can you share a little bit more about that? Like, what kind of decisions were they making and were they sound decisions? Uh, And then that period of growth, like, uh, they went, you said, within, was it 18 18 months months to 700 employees? And that would be a challenge uh, to your cash flow and financing uh, the position. So who were their customers? We were building uh, the entirely new next generation satellite communication system for the U.S. Army. And if you remember um, 2003 when we invaded um, Iraq, uh, the soldiers were outstripping all of their communications gear. They just couldn't set up the, uh, the, com- the comm systems. Uh, it, it would take a day to set up satellite link and then establish all of the you know, uh, line of sight links and everything. But the, you know, the units had rolled forward past that point. So... Uh, they were just outstripping their ability to communicate. So we had developed a system that you, was basically, it had taken a giant, um, it had taken three trucks of equipment and a whole bunch of equipment on the ground that would take six hours to set up uh, and then shrunk it down to a trailer that you could hook to the back of a Humvee. And when you stop the trailer in 15 minutes, you could be communicating with uh, 10 megabits per second, which in 2003 was a big deal. Yeah, Absolutely. That's great. And so from, from Datapath, you went into General Dynamics. Talk a little bit about that experience and how long were you there? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just finish up the point on, on Datapath's growth because I think it's important. Uh, watching that growth happen, one of the things that I learned was uh, that you can't control culture when you're hiring 
10, 15, 20 people a week, um, they're going to bring their own culture with them. And unless you uh, figure out how to enculturate that many people into a single cohesive culture and a set of beliefs and a, and a, and a communication and a language that's standard, you're going to wind up with uh, a, a lot of disparate uh, rice bowls or stovepipes or however you want to describe these small tribal communities that, you know, so well, we all work together at this group and we know how to work this way. And these people worked at that company and they have their own. And so I don't care what the, the data path standards are. We're just going to do it the way we know how to do it. And um, it led to a lot of chaos and frustration and data path didn't do a really good job in thinking about that uh, when they were going through this process. So that was a, that was a core lesson I took away with me. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and and it's really interesting that you you touched on the culture piece of it because I I was an early uh, employee at Twilio, and I think one of the things that I learned early on as an entrepreneur is that uh, setting a culture at that early stage is so important because, as you mentioned, folks bring their own culture, and if you don't set that as uh, at an early stage, you run the risk of of finding yourself in a company that just doesn't have a moral compass. Correct. Yeah, absolutely, Josh. I mean, culture will eat strategy for breakfast. If you build the wrong culture, it's really hard to turn around from that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So General Dynamics, talk us through a little bit about what you were doing there and and how long you stayed. So I was at GD for four years as well. Uh, I seem to have like a four-year clock uh, built (laughs) into me. (laughs) I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. Uh, So I was was at GD for four years. uh, I got there and helped win a uh, $720 million program with the Army and ran a uh, $1.2 billion product line for General Dynamics. Wow. Uh, mostly all satellite communications equipment. And it was it was phenomenal to have that kind of uh, breadth and scope of resources and capabilities and products. And um, th- believe it or not, there actually was very little process, uh, at least in this part of General Dynamics, for, for me to go by. So... Uh, we had to create a lot of the process that GD still uses today in 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 a lot of ways. So uh, that was a, that was actually a lot of uh, that was a lot of fun. I also spent a lot of time moving laterally across lots and lots of silos of General Dynamics. And, and Josh, as you know, uh, large large corporations and especially defense contractors, um, they're really uh, dozens or hundreds of smaller groups and units. So it's it's always a very distributed culture, yeah. and so my my second role as a business developer was uh, basically to to find solutions for problems that the NSA and other Intel customers had, and uh, look across what General Dynamics could do and take you know a part from this group and a service from that group and a technology from this group over here and create a new solution for somebody. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, they they basically created your entrepreneurial strategy. It was. Uh, I'd say that I was. Uh, I learned how to be an intrapreneur. Yeah. At General Dynamics. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you, your General Dynamics. What was the next step for you? I, I know we want to definitely spend some time talking about Candle because that was uh, definitely your baby, and, and there's a story to be told there. But uh, what what set you up for that next step in your career that led you to creating Candle? Uh, and we'll talk about the problem you you were solving there as well. Yeah, so the next step after GD was actually my first startup. 
Um, after four years working in general dynamics and 12 years working in large machinery, um, I kind of had this notion that like, you know what, I, I think I've got this business thing figured out and I've got some great ideas that nobody's listening to. So I want to go and uh, explore these. And so I started my first startup company called Cool Fire and we were building mobile apps for the military. Started that in 2010. And so if you can remember what mobile apps were like in 2010, um, mm, it's very different. <laughs> and nobody in enterprise or the government was really using mobile apps. I had one customer in uh, special operations tell me, well, you know, an app really isn't software. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and he meant it. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, that that means that you had a uh, a valuable customer there that understood the value of what you brought. <laughs> exactly. We we got laughed out of a lot of conference rooms by security officers telling us that the military would never put a smartphone into their uh, global information grid and things. Where we spent uh, four years uh, uh, banging against uh, a lot of uh, uh, security officers who really just needed to retire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we found our way. We actually helped really break the mold for the military to adopt mobility. Um, and so we were very, we, we built a very innovative group. So I grew Cool Fire to $5 million in revenue, 35 employees, uh, building some of the world's coolest mobile apps for uh, the, the military. Uh, a lot of hardware pieces, too. Just had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but every time we would get a customer interested in what we're doing, they put out an RFI for $100 million, and we would lose to some super huge corporation. And that taught me a lot about understanding that you can have the best solution on the market, but you really need to know how to close the deal. And if, if you're working in the defense industry, you need to know how to manage and win uh, business development and proposals. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about how it's not necessarily the most prolific or, or um, you know, efficient company that wins. Talk about how you d- work to differentiate yourself in that in that space to uh, to take your learnings and further your company. Most of the defense contractors, especially the big ones, they focus their efforts on what the program offices want. Um, at Coalfire, we focused a lot on what the end users want and need. And so we were the first company that I'm aware of that really focused, our, our core focus in the DOD was about user experience and, and UI, UI and design. So we were designing software and hardware uh, that worked for the end user, the operators, the 20-some-year-old, uh, now millennial you know, soldiers that were used to video game interfaces, but they're being given this, this 55-button interface from the 1950s. <laughs> And so we, we, we looked at everything that the military was doing and saying, you know, there, there's so much, you know, knowledge, tribal knowledge that these millennial, you know, soldiers have in terms of video games and, and other, you know, soft interfaces that they've seen and used in, in their lives. Uh, let's let's uh, populate that down to some of the, the, the military tasks that they're doing. And so for us, it was always great to hear from a program office call us up and say, okay, I get it. I don't know who you've talked to, but I've had 30 calls this month about your technology. Come in for a demo, please. It's awesome. So so I have a few questions on that. So uh, you were with uh, Cool Fire, you said, for four years? Or yes. Or you had the company. 
And, you know, you mentioned about your competition. You had to compete against these huge companies. Uh, looking back, what could you have done to be able to get some wins by way of partnering or subcontracting under those companies? Was that something feasible at the time? Or it appears that you were trying to go after contracts and, and um, be the uh, prime. And, and, you know, I do federal contracting uh, through our, our company. And when I started uh, with federal contracting, uh, we position ourselves by way of doing subcontracting with SAIC, which is, again, one of the big uh, defense uh -huh. and federal companies. And so it seems like you had a great product. And um, and so I don't know the full story, you know, if you uh, close doors on the company, uh, and I'm sure you'll get to that. But, you know, now... Now you can look back and say, was there something you could have done differently to be able to get in on some of those major awards? Yeah, great question, Carmen. I'll say that uh, I, I take a lot of lessons away from that first startup. I, I did a lot of things uh, absolutely the wrong way, and I, I really didn't know what I was doing. And um, you know, I made I made more mistakes in that four year period than I probably made anywhere else in my life, um, but. It, in, in regards to sales, uh, our sales team was, so the 35 employees that we had, um, there were only two of us that were veterans. Everyone else came from the commercial world. And I had built it that way on purpose because these uh, commercial experienced software developers and graphic designers and program managers, uh, they had a culture that was so different than a, a typical defense contractor. It was, it was refreshing to me and to my customers. And people just liked having us around because of that. That being said, um, our sales team was me and two other people. And I was the only one with any contracting experience. And I had never really, I'd always been more the business developer, not so much the, the contracts person. And so... Um, in retrospect, you know, we had worked with large corporations like Harris and Viasat and General Dynamics and Rockwell Collins, and we probably should have built uh, deeper, tighter relationships with them to let them see, you know, use our products, uh, put them on their contract vehicles. Uh, that, that would have been a better choice for us than, uh, than some of the decisions we made. Well, thank you for sharing that because I'm sure that um, somebody in our audience uh, that that's going to uh, potentially work with the federal government uh, can take um, can really use that um, what you talked about as something to be in the know and. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I personally, I know what you're talking about because the first few years of business, you're just kind of learning on the go. It's, uh, and so um, I really learned a lot too in those first years. And now that I've been in business for a while, I, can, I myself can look back and say, oh, I should have done this or that. But uh, it, it is, you can pick up on that and take it to the next place. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah, definitely. And and so we're going to take a quick little ad break. Uh, I think we lost Tom. We'll, we'll spend some time getting him back. But uh, until then, uh, right now, I want to tell you a little bit about Pork Bun Domains. So yeah, it's an odd name, but certainly something that I'm sure you're going to remember. Uh, pork Bun Domains websites and internet commerce 
for the rest of us. Porkbun, where you can get a website domain for your business or personal brand with the lowest prices and amazing free services. So, yeah, everybody's heard of .com, .neb, or .org domains, but uh, you, you can get a domain that matches what your startup does. So, for example, if you are a design entrepreneur, you get a .design domain and uh, and use your imagination, but you can contact, contact them at porkbun.com forward slash startup radio uh, for more information. I think we have Tom back, right? Yes, I'm back. Nice. See, and it was it was designed that way. It was almost like we figured out yeah, how to do that. that We're getting better out. at this, Carmen. Yep, that worked out. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, so Tom, you were talking about uh, about your your. We were talking about your uh, first startup, Coolfire, which was uh, really focused on how you can build apps for the defense industry. And we were talking about some of the learnings that you had from that business. Uh, is that where you you so you turn you st- you ended and turned down that that company? Um, talk about that transition to get into your next endeavor. Yeah, actually, so that company uh, actually didn't turn down. What happened there was. Um, after four years of trying to do it uh, my way, um, the board decided they wanted to do it a different way. And so the board decided to remove me oh, wow. from the company and replace me with a more seasoned uh, CEO, somebody who had taken three or four companies uh, to acquisition. Interesting. And so they, they removed me from the company in 2013 um, it was uh, it was a really 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 difficult experience for me. Um, there was a lot of shame, guilt, uh, a lot of bad feelings about that uh, for quite a while. But uh, you know, in, in retrospect, uh, it, it it was been good. It's been good for Cool Fire. So Cool Fire now is uh, they're they're generating a ton of revenue. They're they're on their Series B financing round. I think coming up next. Um, so they're eight years old. They're 50 employees. Uh, they have some pretty big contracts with companies like Enterprise Rental Car. Um, so it's, it's, it's been good for the company, um, even though that period of time was very difficult for me. So when you were removed, did you, were you able to at least keep some shares of the company or, or did, you, did you lose out on all that stuff as well? Mm, mm, let me tell you a story. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is a quick one, but it's a story. So uh, in 2010, I signed whatever the, the lawyer put in front of me and said, I don't care. I'm here forever. Yeah. Um, whatever this document is, it doesn't matter to me. Um, the document was my, uh, was my stake in a company, which was significant, uh, double digit percentages. And, um, the document was a three year cliff. Oh, and the board removed me eight days before my cliff vested. Come on. Oh, wow. No. See, and so I'll tell you a little bit uh, about what our start. We had a um, we had an agreement similar. We we did the same thing. Whatever our lawyer put in front of us when we started our startup, we just basically signed as well. And one of the documents that we had was a buyback program, right? So in other words, if you left the company, we could just buy your shares back without having to do a pre-authorization or go back to you and get permission. We just bought it back. And uh, yeah. and so it sounds something very similar to to the setup you guys had. They gave me a check for uh, $17 and took all of my shares. And, uh, yeah, there was no – but eight days later, I would have vested in those shares. And so they gave me Mm – I think they gave me 1% of the company. Good grief. uh, Thank you for your parting gifts. Wow. uh, What a kick to the face, right? Good lessons learned there. 
Yeah. The, the lesson here is uh, entrepreneurs out there, get it in writing and understand what the writing means. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's get, a great lesson. Get to, a good to lawyer. Learn. Yeah. Get, get a good lawyer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wow. I'm sorry that happened to you, Tom. I, I didn't know that part of the uh, the story. That that's. Uh, but to your point, like that's a, a definitely a great lesson to learn. It's a hard lesson to learn, but certainly one that uh, I'm sure our audience definitely uh, appreciates you sharing. Yeah, after you go through these a couple times, uh, it gets easier to tell the stories. Uh, that was a story. Uh, I didn't. Sh- I didn't share that story with publicly with anybody for five years. I sure. mean, it was. It was a long time before I was able to really talk about that. Yeah. Understandably. So, so cool fire kicks you out, and you're left beaten and battered. And you you stand mm-hmm. up, you dust yourself off, and you start another company because you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> because yeah, he's a good actually, soldier. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Candle, let me talk about Candle. Uh, so there was actually a little bit of a, a corporate experience in between in between Candle and, uh, and Cool Fire. And, uh, that's, uh, I had gone to back to work for uh, the name I mentioned earlier, Alan. Uh, he, his uh, startup company had grown to um, about 25 people and was doing pretty well. And so uh, he brought me on board as a VP of Special Projects, which was the most nebulous title he and I could think of. <laughs> And uh, in that company, I helped him grow that from, you know, a couple dozen people to uh, 150 people, nearly 200 when I left. And it was was actually a great experience. I was working with people I loved and really was really good at my job. But I was just I had this feeling like, man, I I left something on the table here. And uh, I, I just had this this calling to get back into the entrepreneurial realm. And so. Uh, that's when I decided, okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go do something else. And so um, I started thinking about, you know, what would that startup look like? What would it be? And I decided that it needed to be something that had a really powerful, compelling social mission tied to it. And uh, right about that time, I met uh, a Syrian refugee named Omar, who told me about how he walked, camped, and hitchhiked for 2,200 miles from Damascus to Dresden, Germany. And that along his journey, the most important thing for him wasn't food, wasn't shelter, um, wasn't even safety. It was being connected. He said the connectivity is more important than all of those things because he needed to know where he was going, which, uh, which security guards uh, could be bribed, which uh, gate entrances were working. Um, you know, they would, these WhatsApp and Facebook ad hoc groups that these refugees were using to kind of share information back down the uh, um, uh, the, the underground railroad, if you will, across Europe, trying to make their way to some place in Western Europe that was safer. Um, so it, it was just it was just such a, an amazing story. And I said, you know, I've got 20 years of uh, communications experience, and I've built things in interesting places around the world. I should be able to help people like him as well. And so started out building yeah. some hardware uh, that would be a great device for a refugee to carry with them. Uh, anywhere they went, uh, it was uh, it was shaped like a candle, uh, large and cylindrical, and it had uh, light power and connectivity for five days. So it could power their smartphones. It was a light. It had a mesh radio in it, so when there was other candles nearby, they could communicate. Um, and there was a uh, a global um, a global hotspot in there, so we connect to four G and LTE networks around the uh, the world. I love it. And I brought that 
uh, kind of half-baked idea and, and half-built hardware prototype to Patriot Bootcamp in June of 2016. So the company was three months old. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, my pitches were a mess. The business model was atrocious. I had this half-baked 3D rendered model thing and, and, a, and a sob story. And somehow uh, Charlotte Creech from Patriot Bootcamp said, you know, come and join us, crazy folks. You're going to fit right in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. That's, that's where we, our band of misfits, uh, get along. So you had this, uh, this crazy idea. You took it through Patriot Bootcamp. Uh, would love to share, have you share a little bit about that experience, but more importantly, uh, what was the sort of the, the turning point for, for Candle? Yeah, so uh, I met some folks from Techstars at Patriot Bootcamp, specifically Dave Drock, and uh, he kind of uh, he said, "Look, I, I think you got something here, but I, why don't you work on this a little bit and uh, maybe uh, let me know. Just let me know how things are going." And so, about uh, six months after Patriot Bootcamp, by that point, we had kind of cleaned up the business model. We were targeting international travelers in general. Uh, with a much simpler product, we had built a bunch of relationships with carriers and, and other service providers. And so we had this great business model, but no funding. And so everything was kind of ready, locked and loaded and ready to go. But we were, you know, running it on fumes in our personal finances. And, you know, this was a venture that needed, you know, significant funding to get off the ground. So uh, I got a call from somebody who said, hey, I'm not saying, but I'm saying, you should probably apply to Techstars Boulder. I'm like, Boulder? I don't know anyone in Boulder. <laughs> uh, like, okay, sure, what in the world? So I'll, I'll give it a try. And so I sent them my application and got a call back. And then we went through a couple rounds of interviews and then went out to Boulder, used the last money that I had um, in our checking account, really. It was, it was getting pretty close to the, uh, the edge of what we could afford uh, to, to pay for that trip to Boulder. I went out there and while we were out there, they asked us to join the 2017 Techstars Boulder cohort. And, uh, we were through the roof. It was so exciting. Uh, it was just, all we could think about was like, okay, now we'll be able to get this thing going and get, you know, get so many people excited about what we're building. It was just, it was an amazing, amazing moment for us. Yeah, and for those that don't know, uh, TechStars is a accelerator program, right? It's an accelerator program that uh, provides funding, some capital to get you going, but more importantly, there's the network effects beyond that, right? They do the Mentor Madness for a whole 30 days uh, the first month, then they do programming, teach you about financial modeling, growth hacking, uh, some of the different tips and tricks within biz dev, uh, business development, and that all culminates with a demo day at the end of of the program. But for you, what was the uh, what was sort of the experience for you uh, going through TechStars Boulder? It was phenomenal. Uh, the experience was absolutely it was it was uh, life changing for me. Having been a soldier and in the defense industry for twenty years, I mean, basically since the age of seventeen, I had done everything with and for the Department of Defense. And so this was the first time I was doing something different. And um, I learned a lot about emotional intelligence. Uh, that was that was a term I didn't, I, it never made sense to put those two words together the day before. Uh, I learned about, uh, you know, how to build a good and healthy culture inside of a company. I learned about, um, like you said, you mentioned growth hacking. Uh, they taught us to slow down in order to speed up. So planning became a daily thing for us there were we created a bunch of processes around planning and i just found myself becoming 
way more efficient than I had ever been in my career, way more focused, uh, way more driven. And for 13 weeks, basically, we, um, um, we, we worked as hard as I'd ever worked before. About halfway through Techstars, um, we had been getting a lot of feedback uh, from, I think we talked to over 300 various mentors and advisors in Techstars. And the majority of the feedback was, hey, I love your mission. I love your passion. I love what you guys are trying to solve. Can you do it without hardware? And I, re I remember specifically one night, my co-founder and I had had one of uh, several arguments. Um, we were we were arguing about I don't even know what, but I just remember one of us blurted out loud, "You know, I don't even know why we need this hardware. We don't need this hotspot because it's basically an Android phone. We should just put this right on the phone." Hmm. And it was like we both kind of like stopped, and it was like, "Wait a minute." Why can't we do that? And it was this weird moment of realization that we had just stumbled onto a far better business idea uh, than we had been trying to do. And so after about a week of really thinking through this, we decided to pivot our business model from selling hardware hotspots to building a mobile app that you could put on your phone that would change your SIM card virtually. And... Uh, that led to the idea that Candle ultimately became, which was uh, the world's first carrier store that would let you choose and change your carrier plan right there on your phone as if you were uh, buying something from Amazon. That's amazing. Wow. That is amazing. Um, and so changing your SIM card virtually... Um, and you could utilize any of the uh, uh, the phone carriers then? Yeah, the idea was that we would uh, build versions of this for, you know, every phone is a little bit different. So it, there would be a fragmentation problem that we just felt like eventually would get solved. But um, And we also needed carriers to, to either buy into this or we would just have to buy thousands of SIM cards for carriers you know, at local 7-Elevens and Targets and gas stations. and uh, But we were going to make it work. It was kind of like, we can hack this together. We can do this. And, yeah, the idea is that you would open up this app. So let's say that if you fly to London, you land at Heathrow Airport, you open up your phone, and you get to choose between Vodafone, 3, O2. Uh, you choose the plan you want. Uh, you pay for it right there, and then your phone gets a uh, Vodafone SIM assigned to it. I love that. I love that idea because, you know, the the carriers do such a great job locking you in that having something yeah. that is software-based. Uh, when I was an early employee at Twilio, Jeff Lawson used to consistently say that if a problem can be brought into software, that problem can be solved. And I love that that's the sort of the vein and the inspiration behind. Like, you guys just figured it out, and software certainly was the, uh, the, the, the point of, of the inspiration. Tom, what happened next? So you got to huh. that point. <laughs> the honeymoon so we, phase was over, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, uh, we, we started working on this new business model, and uh, we very quickly, like, I could not raise money to save my life. I think I had 142 no's um, in a row for, for Candle. And uh, we, we pivoted to this business model, and we raised uh, over 600K in about three weeks. Wow. We actually were turning investors away. That's amazing. Um, which was a really weird experience. Uh, we anchored Demo Day at Techstars, which means that we, we, we pitched last. We had uh, and, uh, Omar was 
uh, was part of the presentation. It was it was just a really great moment in life. Uh, that was definitely a pinnacle experience for me. And then we came back to Atlanta and set out to you know let's okay now we've we've got the funding we need. We've got a great idea. We've got a, a good team of people. Let's go build this. By the way, I just want to stop you there. If you ever want to see Tom's demo day pitch from TechStars, it's on YouTube right now. If you just search uh, candle. Tech stars, I'm sure it'll pop up. But one of the best demo day pitches I've ever seen, Tom. So kudos to you. Ah, thanks, Josh. Yeah, yours was pretty good too. Uh, mine was okay. I got a holy shit in the middle of my uh, presentation, which I don't think too many people get. But uh, no, that was yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fun experience, and I can tell you, uh, you know, and you've gone through this as well. It's one of the most nerve wracking things to do. Is you you literally have to memorize your pitch for eight minutes. And it's not an easy thing to do, and you did a great job, man. I, I love it. Yeah. Thanks. So uh, we had everything we needed, and it was just time to go and work. And this is when everything kind of went sideways. Mm -hmm. um, so my co-founder and I had been having some uh, issues for about five, five or six months at this point. And, you know, I was basically, I was really nervous about, you know, what's, what's he going to blow up about today? What's, what's going to upset him this time? And, you know, when's he going to be mad about this or that? And I found myself not really even aware of it, but very slowly over time, uh, I became, I began just walking on eggshells around my co-founder all the time. And I was afraid of making any decisions because any decision that he didn't like was going to be, you know, cause for him to check out for two days or, you know, go screaming and ranting about something. And it, it became, it just became untenable. Yeah. He needed um, to read the book, the emotional <laughs> intelligence book. So, and that was, that was interesting because he spent a lot of time telling me that I'm the one that needed to do a lot of emotional growth. And, and I agreed that it was not, not my skills, but as I was practicing emotional awareness, I became aware of, of what was really going on in our relationship. And so uh, there was, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of abuse in that relationship to be candid. Well, so, what's interesting is that I don't think a lot of people going into business understand the dynamic between two co-founders, right? You, there's paperwork involved. Like, you were genuinely married to this person, uh, and if you aren't happy, then it can become this toxic roadmap you go down, and, um, and I experienced it as well. So it's really interesting that to hear you, because I, I can definitely empathize with the position you were in. That's true. So I consider myself a, a strong leader, somebody that, you know, uh, has, you know, pretty strong moral beliefs and, and concepts. But under the intense bright lights of tech stars and this newly, you know, minted hot startup that Silicon Valley was talking about, there was a lot of intensity and pressure on both of us. And the intensity pushed me towards being more uh, meek and quiet and unsure and it pushed my co-founder into becoming uh, obtuse, angry, uh, demonstrative, uh, and and so uh, it, it it definitely exacerbated uh, the relationship. And I had to make a decision on something that was pretty trivial; it was pretty minor uh, that he disagreed with. And um, you know, I talked to several advisors about this particular decision, and they all said, "Well, yeah, that seems like the right decision to me." I made the decision. Uh, he blew up. Uh, we went through some uh, a couple uh, a couple weeks of some really bad stuff. Um, it culminated in 
ultimately going to um, him trying to take over the company and then me uh, getting control of the company again through a shareholder vote. Uh, lesson learned, kids. Uh, make sure that there is at least one independent on your board. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a good. That's a good point. I, I think, you know, as you're forming your entity, and a lot of folks are are you know figuring out what they want to do with their startups. Uh, as Carmen mentioned already earlier, is that you really need to make sure that you have one a, a great great lawyer that knows what they're doing, and then you know as you're compiling the people that are going to be part of this entity with you, you need to make sure that these are people that will be helpful and be able to help you with these tough decisions when they come. And you had to make one of the toughest decisions that an entrepreneur has to make at that early stage, which is phenomenal that you uh, that you that you're able to do that. It was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, aside from maybe uh, uh, deciding to put my first dog down, mm. uh, nothing was, nothing came um, as, as to me as hard as this decision was. And uh, it was, it was very difficult. Uh, it, it, and, and honestly, it, it really took the wind out of everything for us going forward um, with, so he was my technical co-founder and, uh, you know, we had pivoted now so far away from my skill set. I'm a satellite hardware person, and, and and I had run a software development company, but I couldn't run this uh, without a technical co-founder who knew how to build this. And I spent a couple months trying to find um, another match for you know a CTO role. Um, uh, everything that I did on the business development side, you know, I had partnerships in place with TrackPhone with. Uh, uh, ultra wireless with uh, conversations going on with T-Mobile. Uh, we had a partnership uh, that was ready to be signed by Vodafone, oh, uh, America Mobile in South America. Uh, Target was interested in working with us, USAA. Uh, so everything that I needed to do on the biz dev and marketing side uh, was going great. But the technology uh, just, um, there just was, uh, it was very difficult to, to move things forward. So um, at some point um, around Thanksgiving, we uh, ran out of money. Uh, the only investment was predatory money. And uh, my wife actually was the one who said, you know, enough. I just, I'm tired. I, I just want to break. And, um, you know, my wife is, she and I never really argue about anything, but there's been once or twice that she's put a red line down and said, um, I just need you to go and and get a stable income for a while. And so um, I agreed and we decided to wind it down. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of founders don't understand that your friends and family go through this as well. My wife, uh, we've been together, we've been together 26 plus years and, and she was excited when we got into Techstars, when she found out it was three months, she didn't understand why it wasn't longer. So there's these things that you go through with your family and friends around you that uh, that they go through it as well. And, and when you go through these dark days, they go through it as well. So talk a little bit about, you made the decision to wind down the company. Talk a little bit about what you went through uh, after that uh, decision was made. So the, the first feeling was uh, shame. Uh, the second feeling was relief. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty weird mix of all that. And then the third feeling was absolute panic. Um, you know, it was... It was Christmas time. Oh, I had no money left. We had uh, used up all the credit cards that we could. Uh, so there was there was no cash coming in. There was no cash in checking. Uh, there was no room on credit cards. We weren't going to make a mortgage payment um, in four weeks. And uh, 
uh, December was was a really difficult time for us. And I had a I had a headhunter that had been kind of poking a stick at me for a while. Um, and I started talking. I called back and started talking to them. And that opportunity uh, just didn't work out. And so there was about a three-day period where I'm sitting in my office in the house going, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And look what I've done to my life and all of those thoughts. And <laughs> so uh, it was it was pretty dark. I mean, I, I think it's important for entrepreneurs to know that there are the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And you will go through all of them. No matter how good it feels right now, it's going to feel bad. And no matter how bad it feels right now, it's going to feel good again. Yeah. No, I appreciate yes. you saying that. That's great. Uh, and and so part of that, and I, you know, I've gone through it as you and I have had some really good discussions about some of the, you know, sort of, I do this talk called surviving startup failure, and and you and I have had this great banter about you know so sort of the lessons learned uh, from both of our failures. But if you had it to do over again, what were what would be some of the your top three things that I, I wouldn't uh, I would do this differently. Revenue is by far and away the best form of investment in a company. Um, I feel like, uh, so I was, I was kind of bent on building a venture funded startup. Uh, that was, that was kind of, the, that was the model that I wanted to follow. And so I did that and I did everything right, except, uh, the issues with the, the, the founder relationship, but, but we never actually generated any revenue at candle. And, and I think that's my greatest regret. The first company I did, uh, we were revenue financed uh, for years before we took any investment. And, and I'd say that the number one thing that if I had to do it all over again um, is I would, build, I would build the company based on revenue first. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, it's, yeah. I get the same exact, uh, same exact thought there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And then number two, uh, I, I just, for whatever reason, I have a terrible record of choosing co-founders. <laughs> and uh, that suit me. Uh, now, yeah. you know, my former co-founders, they may all gel with other people uh, differently and better. And, and, I, and I'm sure my, my previous co-founder has gone on to co-found something else at this point. And, you know, I, I wish him well and all the best. And uh, we probably won't have a beer together anytime soon. Sure. But, uh, but he and I just... Uh, you know, it looked great for about nine months, and then it was terrible after that. And so, um, when you when you decide to build a company with more than one person, make sure that that co-founder is someone that you can be married to for seven years uh, or longer. Absolutely, and, and and the expectation, right? So, if you have somebody you're bringing on, you want to make sure that someone has to be the CEO, and that person, that other person, respects that position. Uh, yes, very much so. Yeah. Or go at it solo. Yep. yep. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yep. Carmen. So uh, just just to kind of uh, close the loop up on all of this stuff uh, throughout our career, uh, I'm actually back um, at uh, that company I was at in the middle uh, in between Candle and Cool Fire uh, in Vistacom. And that company's now grown to 300 people. And uh, I'm actually there as the uh, vice president of innovation. Love it. And uh, my lead engineer from Candle uh, came on board with me. And we're building some really innovative and fun things that, that are 
Uh, so I love breaking business models and building new things, and that's exactly what we're doing with uh, with this innovation group now. So some of the technologies that we learned about at Candle apply to what we're doing here. I'm in the process of instituting a, uh, a lean startup approach to all things innovation. So they're they're switching from waterfall project management to uh, more of a lean agile scrum methodology. Uh, we do uh, six week hardware sprints, uh, not just software sprints. Nice. And uh, we've already in three months uh, released our first hardware product. That's awesome. Tom, it has been amazing talking to you this week. Uh, I, I love getting together and uh, when we have time to to get together and grab a beer, this is this has been wonderful. So we are wrapping up. And Tom, I just want to thank you for being so candid. I'm sure our our listeners uh, appreciate that as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been great. So we are wrapping it up this week. Uh, we thank Tom for his time. Next week we have Jen Pilcher from Military One Click. Another amazing human being that's uh, within yes. the veteran space and veteran slash military spouse. Uh, space actually and so yeah. we're really excited about that one uh, you can go to startupradionetwork.com for more information and uh, again Tom give me your real quickly the website so I have a personal website which is mentelligence.net uh, and that's a great place to reach me and you can see my video and the rest of my story there perfect Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. Carmen, thank any you, parting Tom. words? Thank you. I'm going to check that out, that website. We, Perfect. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.